0: You're listening to the Inside Intercom Podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Risman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. Today I'm excited to introduce a recent conversation between Sabrina Gordon, who's one of our customer support leads, and Sarah Hatter. Sarah is the founder of CoSupport, a consultancy on all things from coaching and hiring to UX and technical writing. Author of the Customer Support Handbook, How to Create the Ultimate Customer Experience for Your Brand, Sarah is also the host of the Customer Support and Success Conference Elevate Summit, formerly known as UserConf. The April 16th event in Austin, Texas is sold out, and tickets are on sale now for July 1st in London. Sabrina caught up with Sarah about how the field of support is changing.
1: The driving force right now and the trend in this emerging field is really self-service. We have to get a lot better about the self-service options that we have and not just throw up an FAQ that we think people might ask on a web page and then slap our email address there, too.
0: The ways great customer support improves product.
1: So if you have the right person on the front lines, They're triaging up to your product people. This is a trajectory for us to acquire more users and make more money.
0: How to hire and scale a customer-centric support culture.
1: Find people that are better skilled for these jobs. So when the people do get to customer support, their experience is not just great and friendly and fun, but it's relative to building a business.
0: It all comes down to using support as a key tool for building long-term customer relationships. And with that, I'll hand things off to Sabrina.
2: Sarah, thanks very much for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. You're some of my favorite people. So when when intercom calls, I answer, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) For the sake of our listeners, could you introduce yourself a bit and uh, tell us about your career trajectory and how you got to where you are today? We started
1: Support about five years ago with the idea to teach and train software companies how to do great customer support, um, a little bit of user experience, a little bit of customer experience, um, customer success, which is now the new buzzword. Um, so that's what we do. We usually go into companies that are either just launching or they've kind of hit a curve in their startup life where they're a real life company now and need to do things in a more professional way. We help them get their support system set up. Sometimes we go into really large scale corporations that are trying to pivot from customer service into a better customer experience for people. And we train, you know, teams of anywhere from 10 people to, we've trained teams of 2,000 before. So so it's a big broad scope that we work with. And like you said, we also run this great conference Um, Four times a year, about 250 people each time. It's speakers from great companies that are leaders in the customer support field. And it's super educational and informative. So that's what our goal is. We wrote the book on customer support literally and called it the customer support handbook, which I could have been a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) pleased
2: with the title, but it's kind of fun to say you wrote the book on customer support. You actually published that just over two years ago now, and it's become sort of a must read for software companies. And I noticed you recently announced that V2 is in the works. Yes, Um, yes. I'd love to sort of hear what are the biggest changes that have happened in the interim and sort of what's this new world of customer support you're going to talk about?
1: Yeah, well, you know, when we wrote the book and when we published it in 2014, customer support was still somewhat of a, a fast and loose game for a lot of companies. They, they knew that they needed to do it really well. Everyone's talking about Zappos and the Apple experience, but converting that to how do we do this as a small team? How do we scale it with zero budget? How do we find the right people? There, there wasn't a ton of resources out there for that. You could find a lot of books on customer service, but I really, really, really believe at my core that there's a big difference between how a company like Toyota or Samsung or even Ikea, how they have to operate their customer service departments and how a startup that's in complete control of the experience they can build for customers should curate that experience for, for them. So. We decided we were going to just you know, put it up, down on paper, write this book. We got some uh, great people from the industry to kind of uh, do with little essays or pro tips, tips and tricks and all that jazz and it was great and i thought awesome we did it <laughs> but then you know we're living in this space of technology where everything moves so fast and p- progress is so swift and so in just the last 2 years some of the stuff we wrote about isn't even relevant anymore you know sure. there's stuff that's like we didn't even cover that that was just 2 years ago my gosh and now there's all this big progress so you know having the conference and getting exposure to thousands of people that are in this sphere asking us you know can you talk about culture more can you talk about support engineering can you talk about product liaison what's the difference between customer support and customer success i mean i don't know so <laughs> you know <laughs> there's a lot to answer out there and the other big thing too is like you know you guys know this from the position that your company is into is that the driving force right now and the trend in this emerging field is really self-service. We mm-hmm. have to get a lot better about the self-service options that we have and not just throw up an FAQ that we think people might ask on a web page and then slap our email address there too for them to contact us. People don't want to contact support. And that's something that is a real visceral change that's happening in the last at least two or three years where... You could get away with it before with people, you know, waiting a few days for an email back or contacting you on Twitter. But we have such a strong inclination from people now in in a world space for them. They don't want to have to have that interaction. They have baggage around what customer support means or customer service means. They don't want to waste the time. They want to just find the answer and get it resolved on their own.
2: I guess there is that shift towards self-service, but you will always have to have sort of a frontline customer support team always Um, (laughs) yeah yeah there's no getting around that so you recently tweeted that the job of customer support is to daily prove the empathy and personality of your company what tips would you give to people in relation to how they can create a great support personality and what are some of the common mistakes you see people making
1: you know the biggest mistake that we see people make all the time is that they present this marketing platform, this very strategic marketing platform where people have sat around in a room and decided, you know, what's our style guide and what's our brand and persona. They build websites around quirky caricatures and like, you know, we're cartoon people and if you hover over our pictures, it changes. And then you get these emails back from them and it's like, thank you for your feedback. We apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> so it's like, "There's where's the dynamic shift here of like, I'm expecting something from you by the way that you present your brand and then I don't get it with the language that you use or the experience that I have. So that's kind of like the, the thing I mean when I say that your job there is to prove the values of this company that you work for. Your, mm-hmm. your job is to prove to people, you know, we are what we say we are because... A lot of the times when people are contacting customer support, I mentioned before the word baggage. And it's such a true statement because people kind of come at this idea of I need customer support. I'm gonna to have to go contact someone with like guns blazing, right? I'm already angry, I'm already frustrated, I didn't find an answer, I'm gonna to have to wait for a thing, I'm gonna get an autoresponder that's full of weird please reply above the line, and all of yeah. kind of like these weird experiences that people have. So by the time they get to the human, their intensity is so amped up around, just give me an answer. Just do the thing. Just fix the thing. That's all they want. Mm. And if you come at them in a way that is instigating more of that frustration from just bad language, bad word choice, um, lack of empathy in your tone, you're not winning anything. You're, there's, you know, you're, you're just kind of like totally. spiraling. <laughs> and so, you know, when we've worked with large corporations that are, like I said, are kind of trying to shift they positioning around customer service to a more branded concierge level support. Um, that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle that we face is teaching groups of 200 people in a call center why they can't start a phone call demanding an account number and a last name and a mailing address <laughs> and a billing address and a zip code. Like you have to go into it with this is a human being. Who paid us money that money goes into the profitability of this company which gives me a job at a paycheck and i owe them a support experience that's human centered that is empathetic that is emotional and knows about their baggage and still meets their needs in a way that diffuses that frustration they're having
2: and i mean we can agree that great companies have great support and what makes that support great is that it's personal Um, You know, too often customers will write in with a complaint and assume it's a robot on the other end, (laughs) you know, Uh and um, we engage them in an empathetic human conversation we can see that customers are happier and they stick around. How do you go into sort of a big corporation and begin instilling this kind of support culture? Yeah. And what can companies do to keep it intact as they do scale?
1: Well, you know, the thing that we always do is is when we sit people down we're like, we're doing this training and it's going to feel weird. And these words are going to sound foreign because you've never said them before. We try <laughs> to put them in position of, Everyone in this room has been a customer. Everyone has purchased something and had an issue with it. And what was the experience that you got? What is your baggage around customer support and service? What is it like for you when you have to go wait in line the day after Christmas and return something? What is it like when, you know, your iPad won't start up and you don't know what to do and you feel overwhelmed with the technology and the process and you feel, you know, condescended to and, and dumb because you can't fix it yourself? And we take that emotional human experience and flip the switch on them and say, this is what we have to remember when we present our service, that we were there once, right? And the weird thing is, you know, a lot of the times people get thrown into this job doing customer support. There's not a lot of training. They're they're in the corporate world or in these large corporations like the Comcast, the Ikeas, whatever. It's typically unskilled labor, and they're not given great training on... (laughs) How to be an emotional human, right? That's not (laughs) in the handbook at all. It's not like part of the HR, the seminar that they go to. So we have to do as much as we can. You know, you've spoken at our events before, Des has spoken at our events before, and you know that the theme that I'm trying to get out there in the world is disseminating this information. Far and wide, as broad as we can take it, right? Because it can't just be 50 of us in a room who know how to do this well, that keeps we keep getting called on to give the information. Yeah. It has to be trickling out of just the startup world into emerging tech and then into you know healthcare or whatever industry is out there that really needs it. So starting with, you know, what is it like for me to be a customer? What are my expectations? What do I want? The whole reason, you know, the Zappos thing took off was because. They came about it in a way, in in, in a time where online consumerism was kind of new. The bubble had burst, and yet, you know, now we're going to convince people to buy shoes online, which is, like, the worst thing you could buy online. <laughs> yeah. Other than, like, an animal, I think buying shoes online is probably the worst experience. Or jeans, or maybe. jeans, exactly. I always buy, like, seven <laughs> pairs, just like, I don't know. I'm five feet tall, extra tall. <laughs> do, I, do I do child size? I don't know. So, you know, they took this whole weird experience that people were having and convinced them that the reason it would work is because, they could call and talk to someone. We were super nice. We were super friendly. And then they followed up with that agreement through mm. all of the service level stuff that they did, right? They followed through with the quirky, happy, easy personality. And, you know, it's really weird to think about this in 2016, but 10 years ago, it was, it was pretty uncommon to get free shipping, pretty uncommon to get same day, you know, the next day you pair something on your doorstep. We're used to that now. And so, you know, people have these references in mind about what they're trying to replicate. And they're just going to do free shipping. Well, if free shipping doesn't mean anything, if I get the wrong product, or if I try to return it, it's a hassle. Or, you know, I live chat you about a size and I have to wait three minutes before someone connects. Mm -hmm. You know, so starting from this idea of I've been there before, what would I want and what would I expect? It's the best way for any company to build out what they want their customers to experience.
2: To go back to the point you said sort of typical large corporations often think of customer support as sort of a a (laughs) Mm -hmm. non-skilled area. And that's sort of like how they think about hiring those types of people. But I think something that customer support can definitely improve product oh yeah so a lot of our listeners are product people startup founders early stage employees product managers Um, there's a great line in co-supports manifesto that says feature requests aren't annoying they prove someone likes what you built and they want to use it more stop being so defensive right could you (laughs) yeah i love that line um could you sort of expand on the whole idea of how support can improve your product?
1: Yeah, well, listen, startup founders, like, you know, mid-market, mid-level companies, this is, this is my favorite audience because they really get it. They have the most risk. They have the most on the line if it's something doesn't work out. So, they're the ones who are trying to figure out how do we create the best experience possible to gain those loyal customers that continue to pay us money, especially like service, you know, software services, someone's gonna pay me $49 every month. How do I convince them to keep doing that? And we got a lot of really bad advice when apps were launching, when people were coming on doing software as a service, you know, 10, 15 years ago for the first time, there was a lot of the designer's rights, right? you know, if someone wants this feature, we're gonna say, no, we don't like that feature, so we're not doing it, you don't need it. We're gonna retrain people how to work based on the constraints of our product. And everyone got really, yeah, you know, the engineer's right, the designer's right for like like a like a good five years. <laughs> All of these companies started failing. And they're not failing because they said no to feature requests, and they're not failing because they didn't improve based on you know, user insights, but they failed because of their co- their core belief was that the customer insight and experience didn't matter as much as what the designer wanted to matter. Mm. So when we, you know, when I speak at conferences, I'm primarily speaking to people, and that's startup founder, you know, micropreneur kind of single founder stage. And I'm convincing them, look, you know, you get someone on the front lines who's empathetic, who's understanding, who's uh, really intuitive about people's needs, and they're keeping track of every single request and words that are being used and the tone that's coming across from customers. They're keeping track of every bug report, every, you know, feature request, especially is a big thing that a lot of people tend to ignore. They don't think it's relevant in early stage life. But I think it is because if you have the right person on the front lines, they're triaging up to your. Product people, this is a trajectory for us to acquire more users and make more money. At the end of the day, that's all it is. It's not feature bloat. People are very scared when they hear, listen to feature requests. They're like, well, then we're just promising that we're going to build everything and then we have feature bloat and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's like my cartoon boardroom version of a startup founder's voice. (laughs) But yeah, I don't think that's what that means. I think that if you're proving to people like, Your experience with this product matters. Your experience using, you know, every single button that you click becomes a habitual part of your day. This Mm. isn't just a transactional experience that we have, like, you know, the Mitch Hedberg joke with, like, the donut. Like, you know, (laughs) I don't need a receipt for a donut. Like, I get, you give me the donut, (laughs) I give you the end of transaction. That's not what we want to build. If you want to build that way, then you can go work for Samsung or you can go work for, you know, whomever. But if you really want to build a company and a brand and a product that lasts and impacts people's lives, makes their lives easier, and makes them loyal to you for 10-plus years down the line, you have to come at this idea of how we build the product, building it with that empathy, with the customer in mind, really does matter because at the end of that, the end game is, we make more money. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's what it is. I've never, ever, ever told somebody to listen to people and kindly reference and track feature requests and talk about it with product who said, I went bankrupt because of that.
2: (laughs) And you're not just building exactly what the customer is wanting. You're asking them, why do you want that? And sort of using that to guide And that is like when I talk
1: about hiring people who have that intuition, you know, Mm -hmm. I talk about this a lot because I'm really anti-phone support. And the reason I'm anti-phone support is because I think it's too emotionally charged. It costs way too much money. People end up offshoring it because they can't, you know, it's so expensive. And so people end up getting this bad experience. But I always say, like, why do people want phone support? Why do they want a telephone number to call? It's not because they want to stay on hold for 15 minutes. It's not because they want to accidentally get cut off. It's not because they want to repeat their problem to four middle managers before they get someone to give them a coupon code. They want to trust you. They want to know that you're a human being who can help them. They want immediate help to meet an immediate need or fix something, right? Mm. So it's like, what is the root cause of someone saying, can you add another checkbox here or a dropdown here or can I add another user here? what's the use case? Why do you need that? And we may find that that's not actually what we need to build for this person. We need to build a whole other scenario that fits around this subset of users who we could acquire, right? If we just had this extra feature, this extra scaling capacity.
0: Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service, and that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type of customer experience, It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Script. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode.
2: Phone support is expensive and you have to hire a lot of people for it. Um, And so maybe that's not sort of the best route for a lot of companies. But, you know, you do have to hire people people for any type of support oh, yeah. and it's really hard to find the right type of person and you know one major area of where co-support provides advice is how to begin hiring and ultimately scale your customer support team yeah. When should a young company begin building a customer support infrastructure and what characteristics do those hires who excel in the field share?
1: Well, I think, you know, personality is huge. I always tell people, like I don't hire for skill, I don't hire for background, I don't hire for experience because, you know, I wasn't experienced when I started doing this thing. I was literally only hired for my personality. And so, if you hire the right people and you have great training and process in place, you could bring anyone on off the street and teach them anything. You cannot teach those people how to be nice people. (laughs) (laughs) You can't teach them how to be, you know, lighthearted and self-managing. You can't teach them how to not take things personally, but get really down to the root of empathy with other people. Right. So that's like a, a big thing. And I find that if you're, if you're looking to hire The big uh, areas where you see the best conversion to someone who can do customer support, especially email based customer support, um, Mm. and work with programmers are people like, you know, baristas, long term baristas, or bartenders. They're dealing with tons of personalities. They're dealing with people in bad moods. They're acting as therapists and they're multitasking and they have great memory and they have really sharp. kind of hand uh, eye coordination of the I don't even know what that's called like their thinking skills are really sharp they can ping pong you know from things um, other really great hires are people who've worked long term in bookstores or libraries because they they have this you know in, innate quality about wanting to learn and teach and educate teachers are another you know a great subset um, and then when it comes to that personality, you know, I'm looking for people who can show empathy, who can show passion, who can show creativity, anyone who's ever trained in improv. If you say you've trained in improv on your resume, I, I'll hire you for anything. I don't know, because <laughs> it's such a valuable skill, learning, you know, how to be present in situations and meet multiple needs at once and kind of, you know, you know you've been through that whole thing, so you kind of know why that's valuable. Totally. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of what, you know, what we go through. And the other thing, too, is, you know, you've got to think about someone's got to be a great writer. They've got to be able to communicate really, really well. So when we hire, we do job ads, we help a lot of companies do hiring. And there's, you know, we always ask for writing samples. If you have a product that's launched and, and someone could research you or Google you, you can ask them, you know, how would you reply if a customer said XXX? And see how they respond to that. Actually get a real, you know, Oh, like in the design world, it's like spec work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but in this world, it's like you're proving to this person, like, you know, I could do this job for you and here's why. Um, I also, every time I do, when I'm hiring people and I'm going to bring them in for an interview and we're kind of ping-ponging on email, I always am like, you know, getting figuring out who they are, what their personality is like. And I always say, hey, you probably have a smartphone with a lot of apps on it. What's your favorite app and why? And then when they come into that interview, I always bring that up and just sort of be like, show me how that works. Show me what you like about it. And you give them a moment of space to sort of be themselves, but really demonstrate their talent at teaching and being empathetic and being patient, right? Mm. You know, we screw with them. Like, I know how to use Periscope. I've seen it before. <laughs> you
2: know what I mean? It's like I know what
1: Snapchat is. Yeah. You kind of want to put on that persona when you're when you're trying to find someone for the right job. It was like, you know, if I'm the dumbest person on earth, how are you going to get me to use this product without having to call you every day to show you how to do it? So. That's always a a great way to um, assess hiring and assess who you bring in. Also, people who have worked in restaurants uh, long-term, especially people who, like, manage restaurants, uh, they're dealing with some of the most entitled, mean, (laughs) hangry, drunk people. Yes. They're great to have on support because by the time they're in a position where they're like, 100 email tickets, this is nothing, right? They've done the 4 a.m. shift before. So they're kind of like – it's kind of – built into their they're like wired for that kind of work.
2: I think the the piece that you said about sort of testing those practical skills that they'll do at the job is really important. If you can test that, why don't you because that's going to tell you the most about how they're going to perform at the job.
1: Well, yeah. And I think you know, that's something that, again, we're not in a place where we were five years ago where there wasn't a job description for someone doing customer support. There's so many examples of what that means now. There's so many examples of companies doing it really, really well. So you should have an ad for someone doing this job that's really in depth, has your expectations all lined out, has their required talents all lined out. You should be able to assess that pretty quickly rather than, you know, hiring your dad's friends, cousins intern at his optometry shop because she needs a job for the summer,
2: (laughs) right? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So speaking of hiring, a recent trend for rapidly growing Silicon Valley startup firms is to move their support teams to cheaper locations around the U.S., so anywhere other than San Francisco, basically. You stated clearly this is not the future of customer support. Why is that? What do you think these teams are sacrificing?
1: Well, you and I know the difference between our job, customer support, you and I know what the difference between that job and like the return line at Walmart, right? (laughs) They're very different jobs. It's, It's a very different job, but you know, five years ago we had the same job title. I remember working for a software company and having a fight with my managers about I would I refused to be called customer service representative because I felt what I'm doing and the the talent that I have and the experience that I have and how I'm working with customers to curate this experience for them is not just sitting on a firing line like a Comcast rep, you know. Trying to get them, to just get them dealt with as fast as possible. So we read stories about like you know Lyft moving to Nashville, Eventbrite's moving to Nashville now, like you know Portland or Charlotte or Cincinnati, and we're, we're talking about these companies that have built an infrastructure around needing full-time customer service representatives. I don't think that they're necessarily customer support people or customer success agents, right? I think there's a very different um, there's a there's alignment sort of what those roles really are. If my job is to sit there for a company, answering calls, answering calls, answering calls, or just like plowing through emails with scripts, mm. I mean, it's not the same job as someone like working for buffer and customer happiness, right? Or someone like uh, working at Trello as a customer success or customer support engineer. Mm-hmm. Those are very different roles and they require different skills. So like I said, I, I think the, the future isn't, in call centers, and I don't think the future is an unskilled labor. And I really don't like the idea of us perpetuating this myth that support is an entryway into other departments. Like, it's not just, oh, I'm going to take this $12 an hour job for the next six months like I'm a college intern, because then I'll get hired on the marketing team, and then I'll really start my career. Customer support for a lot of startups, even these larger scale invested startups, You know, this is, you're the only people who are in the front lines of everything people are saying, everything they're praising you for, everything they're complaining about, every use case that you could possibly get. And if I were a VC, I would think those are my most valuable assets at this company, and they should be driving the way this company is managed and designed and the way that we sell things, because they're the only ones that have that keyhole into the temperament, the attitude, and the experience of people paying us money, right? Right. When you get to a point where you have have bloated this company out so much that you just have a phone ringing off the hook, you know, it ends up being, people just throw bodies at the problem. And if you want to throw more bodies at the problem, you've got to pay them less and less money and you've got to find a less and less skilled labor force. What I think really is the future, like I said at the beginning of this talk, is creating ways for self-service, figuring out ways we can track and refine processes to improve products that eliminate the need for support, and find people that are better skilled for these jobs so when the people do get to customer support, their experience is not just it's not just great and friendly and fun, but it's relative to building a business, right? Someone's going to take that email and assign metrics to it that we can track and quantify and improve the product with later on.
2: Yeah. And empowering the people on your support team to help define those processes. Exactly. Makes them see a career in customer support and not just customer support as a stepping stone to exactly. somewhere in the company. And it
1: really shouldn't be. I mean, we're in a space where, you know, in the tech space and in the, in the SaaS industry or whatever, we get to make our own rules here you know and if we do it soon enough before we're under the micromanagement of vc or investments we get to lay the groundwork for how are we going to build this company and how are we going to drive it and direct it and is it going to be through customer experience through actual user experience through someone on the front lines who we value and listen to and you know give give uh, weight to the things that they say or are we just going to build a thing sell a thing get people to use the thing and then, you know, then that's... Do we just have the thing?
2: You have uh, Elevate Summit in Austin, Texas, coming up this week, which yes. I'm delighted to be Yay! speaking at. I'm this so your excited.
1: This is time. You also spoke in Portland, right? It was amazing.
2: Yeah, it was so fun and... Austin will be a different fun experience. So I'm really excited. Um, (laughs) You've publicly committed to making the lineup of speakers as diverse as possible. Why is diversity at tech events so dismal? (laughs) Is it just the industry being lazy? What can we do to improve the current situation?
1: Yes. I'm not, there's nothing else to say. It's it's pure laziness. I was talking to someone about this yesterday, someone who was like contacting me and wanted me to speak in an event. And it's hilarious because you go and look at who they've lined up, and it's usually like the same five guys. Guys that we recognize, maybe four or five guys that we haven't heard of, but they're emerging. And mm. then, it's, you know, me, Amy Hoy, and Claire Lou, and maybe, you know, it's like Erica <laughs> Hall. And we're like the token female tech speakers. And all of these conferences have one of us on the lineup. And that's it. I go to conferences where I'm the only woman in attendance, not just the only speaker. And it's 2016. And, you know, I got really burnt out on that for a long time, just speaking. And it's like, the same hotel ballroom with the same crappy lunch, and it's the same dudes, you know. (laughs) Even the dudes aren't diverse. There's just like white dudes, right? I don't think we can just keep harping on the fact that there's white dudes in text. We have to start doing something about elevating people that are maybe not managers or CEOs or VCs or co-founders. But like I said, they're working your front lines. They're in product. They're in marketing. They have stories to tell, too, that are just as relevant. So when we started our conference in 2012, you know, we we had rules that we wanted to abide by because of our experience being conference speakers. And my big thing was I'm only where I am because... I was elevated from somebody else, I'm working for a famous company, people knew who I was, it's the only reason people listen to me. But if I was just working for a software company and doing my job, and I had this great story and this passion, and I was articulate and thoughtful about storytelling, and I could give people like core takeaways that changed how they worked, how would I ever get attention on me when conferences are only hiring these five known white guys to speak? right? So we asked our friends, we asked people that we knew that were doing the job that people have never heard of to go and speak at this conference. And then the next thing you know, the next one rolls around and there are people from the audience of the last one who was like, you know, I think I could, I think I could tell a story. And my job became to coach them and how to get on stage and tell a story. And it spiraled from there to a point where it was not difficult for me to get 300 applicants a year from females working in the product space. Online, who wanted to speak in my conference, and I started being able to then diffuse, like, like diffuse all these conversations where people were like, "Oh, I'm running a conference and I can't find any women." It's like bullshit. (laughs) If I can say that in this podcast, but I've got a list of, I'm like, I'm binders full of women. (laughs) And then you know, on top of that, it's just sort of like you have to look beyond the top level. Look at, you know, look at like a digital summit or like an like entrepreneur experience summit are coming up or whatever, and look at their lineup, and it's the same people, and they're coming from companies that we all know about, Instagram, you know, Snapchat, Microsoft, Apple. There are women who work there. There are people of color who work there. There are immigrants who work at those companies. We know this, so why can't we hear their stories? Mm. If we think the whole thing is, well, they're not a seasoned speaker, get someone to teach them how to speak. And there you go. We were able to do that. And now we run, I think on average, our conferences are 60% women and 30% non-white. And it's not hard for me to do. Now, I know that I've been doing this for four years. We put on 10, 12 events and people know us. And so they are wanting to speak at our event, but that just tells me that they want to speak at other events. That just tells me that the opportunity for them is there. And somebody on the other end is just being lazy.
2: Yeah. And and they don't realize that people actually want to hear from someone who's doing their job. They don't need to always hear from the CEO or founder or whatever. The only founder, honestly, the only founder I really like listening
1: to is Des because he's so (laughs) great on stage. I think I've had him speak at my conference three times because he's great on stage. He's engaging. He's thoughtful, right? But I also know that he empowers everyone who works for him to have a story to tell. And if they want to go on stage, he will gladly step by and let them do that. So the other part of this is, are our tech founders and these white dudes hogging the spotlight? The answer is Yes. They are. They are. They're not they're they're engaging in these Twitter conversations. We need more women on stage, but I'm not leaving the stage just yet.
2: (laughs) Totally, yeah.
1: So, you know, what are you gonna do? I hate to have this conversation. It's 2016, I'm 35 years old. I hate having this conversation. But, you know, I get thrown into it all the time because I am proof positive that, yes, people are lazy and, yes, people are unintentional with who they choose to get on stage with.
2: Totally. Um, So you just announced that you're taking the conference to London in July, July 1st. Yes. What can the summit attendees expect and where can listeners go to find out more about how to attend London. Yeah, you
1: can. um, I'm on Twitter. It's just SH. It's super easy. You can search Elevate Summit, ElevateSummit.co. I think it's actually London.ElevateSummit.co is where the London tickets are being sold. And it's, you know, it's going to be the same show. Ironically, we just announced our first four speakers and they're all men. But, (laughs) but, you know, we, I swear to you, we have a lot more, (laughs) we have a lot more being announced. Um, but yeah, talk desk. We've got Buffer speaking. We've got you guys speaking. Your director of customer support is speaking, Jeff. Um, and you know, it's it, London is a little bit of a different crowd because they they have Dublin. You know, is so saturated with companies doing customer support there, and London is this huge emerging tech scene right now. So last year when we went to London. We decided to do a an agenda that had a little, a little bit more product heavy. That had more product managers and people talking about building. And, you know, churn rates and all those scary (laughs) product things that I just sort of leave the room when people start talking about. Um, So it'll be more like, it'll be more like that agenda this time where we have like product heavy stuff, but then we do have great people talking about customer support and trends in the, in the, the field. Uh, We have someone um, doing kind of a status of the industry on customer support too. So yeah, it's going to be a great day. London last year was just so spectacular. So we decided to go back. We're going to double the ticket size this year. And, and then the rest of 2016 we'll do two more events so we got a lot going on
2: yeah well sarah thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and i really look forward to catching up with you at elevate summit
1: yeah i'm so excited to see you speak thanks for having me thanks for doing great work in this this little world we're in. <laughs> <laughs> for sure.
0: you've been listening to the inside intercom podcast For more episodes, just visit soundcloud.com forward slash intercom. And if you want to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.io.